This is Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio and on Sirius XM Channel 80. Oh, they're putting George's name up in the lights. Back-to-back national champions, undefeated. And they did it in historic fashion last night, not just beating TCU, but beating TCU in ways that will be remembered for college football championships for years to come. It's Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. And your smart speakers just say, hey, Play ESPN Radio. He's Harry Douglas. I'm Jason Fitz. We were here. We are here in Los Angeles. We were there last night getting drenched and so far. Which, by the way, like who decided to design a $5 billion stadium that is covered, but the rain can still get into the top section? Like, oh, man, it was cold and wet. We had no had no idea how to – like I was not prepared for the amount of water that was getting on us while we were doing shows inside this domed stadium. Yeah, like TCU yeah, fans were getting drenched and killed. I, I was deceived. <laughs> by, by, by SoFi. Yes, I, I was, Fitz, because I had no idea before. And this time, being out here was my first time going out there. But I had to do a, a show with um, Matt Berry, Sam Acho, and Greg McElroy the time. other day, right? And literally, <laughs> and literally where our set was, was right where the wind and stuff was coming out. And I was like, whoa, like, can they close this? And they was like, no, 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 this is how the stadium is built. So I said, what brilliant idea, who, who had that brilliant, not so brilliant, idea to build this great of a stadium and leave the sides open so wind could just whoosh through there? It's like a wind tunnel, bro. I, I hear it gets really warm, too. Like, when it's hot out, like, the heat comes through everybody, too. And, and it's funny because the weird thing about L.A., and look, I love L.A. I almost said a bad word. Right? I was about the to weird, say, who <laughs> The weird thing about L.A. to me is that, like, L.A. defends L.A., mercilessly so like when we go to a restaurant and try and order food people are like oh no it's just different in la and it's like no it's vastly complicated as was pointed out on our show last night one of our guys ordered ketchup and instead they brought like some weird dip sauce that had like barbecue and jelly and all this stuff and they're like no it's just a different have, have you ever different- heard Keyshawn pronounce la no it's la la yeah la you know <laughs> i'm going back to la Everybody keeps telling me, they're like, no, 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 this is the best spot to have the national championship game. Uh uh-uh. uh. I take Indy. That's right, Indianapolis. Come on. Yeah, where I, everything is right here. I can you, walk you to everything. You don't have to drive anywhere. Everything here is like 30, 45, 50, 60 minutes away. Everybody's telling me, too, they're like, well, I couldn't even leave the hotel in Indy to go get dinner. You didn't have to. They had a tunnel built. Yep. Eat in the hotel, you bougie people. No, I will say this. I say that to Harry, who was I soaking do, in Epsom salt. I, I have night. enjoyed California. It has mm-hmm. been phenomenal this entire time we've been out here. Um, I just want to give a thanks to everybody who's who's worked on the college football side for ESPN and what they've been able to do in putting on this event and you know everything you know they make sure we're finding okay okay two fits uh, along with rides and getting places and setting us up in certain areas so I do I want to thank everyone who's involved uh, on the logistics side. Uh, of this business. There's a name that most of the world doesn't know that should know. Lindsay Lloyd, who might be one yes. of the most phenomenal people at ESPN, but also does such a phenomenal job. Uh, you know, and her ability to just figure all of these events out from a large scale. Man, I don't, I don't know many people here that are smarter than Lindsay Lloyd. And every time I see her, I just smile because I'm like, you are the reason that we're all able to move around. Like, she should and get her own thing. So I sat beside Lindsay like this year, um, traveling for game day for about you know, two trips, and she's working. I thought I worked nonstop on my phone. She is working nonstop on every flight. 
Chris Doring also working nonstop constantly. SEC Network Analyst, SEC Radio on Sirius XM joins us now. Walk me through this because I expected a dominant performance. I expected a big win, dude, but I didn't expect that. So what are we supposed to make of what Georgia did to TCU last night? Yeah, I'm with you guys. I thought Georgia was the better team from top to bottom. I thought they were the deeper team. I thought it was a poor matchup for TCU in a lot of ways. A lot of the things that LSU's offense and Ohio State's offense uh, was able to do to take advantage of, of Georgia's defense was not something necessarily that, that uh, TCU had. But what you saw was a snowball effect. Things get out of control. I don't think Georgia by any means is 58 points better than TCU, and it could have been a bigger disparity than what it was but I I was on the TCU end of one of those national championship games back my senior year when when we played against Nebraska in the Fiesta Bowl Um, that game got out of control and and, uh, we lost 62-24 so I can certainly feel for what the uh, the TCU Horn Frogs their their players their coaches their fans went through but at, at the end of the day I mean this has been the most complete team all season long they're in a class of their own, uh, and, and I don't see it ending, guys. You look at the schedule next year, you look at what they return, the majority of those guys that were making plays last night are all guys coming back. Brock Bowers, Javon Bullard, look at defensively Bear Alexander with his performance of uh, multiple sacks. Look at uh, what they've been able to do with Malachi Starks and, and uh, Mikael Williams. I mean, this is a loaded team that has a very favorable, manageable schedule next year, so I, I don't see the thing slowing down in Athens. And Chris Doring, you brought up that game against Nebraska. Uh, that was 95, I believe, Chris, because y'all won yep. the national championship in 96. Because I grew up a Florida fan. My mom went to UF, yep. my dad's from Gainesville, Florida. So, so, Chris, thanks a lot for not making enough plays and having me as a kid with my damn Florida starter jacket on in the, in the <laughs> living room crying like a damn baby. Thanks a lot, Chris. Now I know how all those young TCU fans feeling right now, Chris. I tell you what, I, it's funny you mention that because I, like you, grew up a Gator fan, and I remember the heartbreak of losing, you know, Buck Ballou to Lindsey Scott in the in 1980 season, yes. and, and all of the disappointment. And I was always set on making sure that didn't happen. I, I will say this: I did have eight for 125 in that game. I was the Ooh. player of the game for our team, so I, I tried to make enough plays, but it was just uh, more about Tommy <laughs> Frazier and Lawrence Phillips than it was anything else. Oh. He, he said, shut the hell up, Harry. I he's, made like, plays. he's like, we may have lost. <laughs> he but, like, but I balled out. I don't know what you're talking about. All right, number 28, and I love watching number 28. Trust me. But, Chris, i got to ask you this, man. How does the rest of college football close the gap? I don't know that they can. You know, in all honesty, it's something, you know, from the Florida perspective, that you're seeing this gap that's already significant. seems like it's growing greater and greater. Now, let's not forget, it was just two years ago that Florida was able to beat Georgia in in the cocktail party, and and that was because a special group of Florida players kind of came together with Kyle Trask, Kyle Pitts, Kadarius Toney, and others. But right now, I mean, you look at at the way that that the team is being constructed, the way that Kirby is being able to re-recruit his roster, keeping them largely intact, not have to go into the transfer portal to to fill holes. Now they've done that um, this year already. A couple of, of wide receivers from within the conference uh, are going to show up in Ronald Thomas and, and, and uh, Dominic Lovett. But I, I do think that um, it, it's going to be tough because they, they have everything you need. They have the plan. They have the resources. They have the coaching staff. Uh, they're just able to, to continue to keep this thing rolling. But I, I was down in Orlando covering the, uh, the Purdue-LSU Citrus Bowl. I honestly believe Brian Kelly's got something going special down there. I think that maybe the biggest challenger – 
is not Alabama. Uh, I worry about their quarterback situation next year. But I think LSU might be the, the team we see another uh, SEC championship rematch taking place and, and maybe being able to give with the Jimmys and Joes that they have on that roster, giving Georgia the biggest run for their money next year. He's Chris Dorian. We're talking to him uh, on Fitz and Harry. Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz. I'm going to throw this out to the two of you guys because you guys both played, and I obviously at five nine and a half, uh, 165 pounds, wouldn't know a damn thing about being in the locker room. <laughs> I cannot conceptualize the concept of the argument that it was it would have been better for TCU to not even make this game than to get blow out in this blown out in this game. Tell me I'm wrong, y'all, but like Chris, like to me there's still a sales pitch to TCU of saying I can get you to an Eddie and for every single player on that field, blowout or not, there's still a moment that said we 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 played for this. I can't find a loss out of that, can you? No, I can't at all. I mean, it, it, that's a, a an insane argument to say it would have been better for them not to have been there. For those kids, obviously it's a disappointing end of their season, but what a special run it's been. Who would have thought that TCU, not only this season, but ever would have a chance to play in a college football playoff championship game? And, and it, it not only gives their team hope and potential recruits hope that there is a path from the Dallas-Fort Worth area to the national championship, but what about the other programs throughout the country that have not been considered part of the haves, that have been looked at as, as the have-nots. Well, I, I think it gives them a lot of hope, too. This was a special year with a special group of, of players and coaches coming together. And, and, and when we expand this thing to 12 teams, I think it's even more of an argument for a team getting hot and having a little bit of magic and, and something go their way that does give them a chance to find their way into a college football playoff championship game. Now, what I'm about to say you got to contextualize it, right? Because TCU is going to lose a lot of people. But when you, you know, have a chance to compete for a national championship, Chris, like you did in 1995, and y'all got blown out in that game, right? But then you use it as motivation, and you do have some carryover, right? Florida came back and won a national championship in 96 and had, the, had a Heisman Trophy winner as well. So it, it's also that side of things, too. You can say we got there the first time, you know, we, we – you don't want to say you didn't know what to expect, but you didn't live up to the means of yeah. play the way you thought you could play. You can actually use that as motivation. Not saying TCU is going to be there next year, but they can use that as some fuel to the fire for 2020. I honestly believe that, that you learn more from failure than you do success. And, and I think you, you go back to our time at Florida, like we went to the Sugar Bowl, got blown out by Jerome Bettis at Notre Dame because we didn't handle it right. Well, we went back after that and, and handled business the next couple times we went there. You, you go to – to uh, the SEC championship game. We lost in 92 to Alabama before winning four straight. You, you go to the national championship game, we lose, and then the next year you're able to learn from those mistakes. So I, I do think you're right about that. I think it, it not only provides motivation, but it, it shows you a roadmap for what you need to do differently to have success the next time you're there. And that's what's so surprising, guys, about Michigan. I thought Michigan would have learned something from their experience in the semifinal last year against Georgia that they could come back and use in, in this year's game against TCU, but it was almost the opposite. They, they look like they learned nothing. Yeah. You guys can listen to them on SiriusXM on SEC Radio. Also watch them on the SEC Network. Chris Doring, my friend, we appreciate you hanging out with us. Thanks for the time, brother. Yeah, I love you guys, man. Great being on with you, Harry. Jason, thanks for having me. Thanks, Chris, bud. Chris is the best. By the way, for me, the memory that still makes me cry from when I was a kid I grew up in Vegas, you know this, a mm -hmm. uh, UNLV fan. The undefeated UNLV season when Duke beat them in the Final Four and took away my hopes in a national championship, I cried. I still hate Duke to this day. Like, I love Jay Will, and every time I see Jay Will, there's like a twitch in my eye because I love the human being, but he went to Duke, well, so I can't love That's probably why I feel the way I feel about Nebraska. That was those Tommy Frazier, Lawrence ah. Phillip days right there. Ah. They, they, they were unstoppable, man.
Yeah, Georgia was unstoppable last night, but there is one question that has to be answered about Stetson Bennett, and we'll answer it next. It's Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. Your Majesty, who is the biggest sports star in all the land? This is King Harry. Hail to the King! With Fitz and Harry. It's Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Uh, I have no programming to break down the fourth wall, so I don't know if we're back right now or if we're not back. I don't know if anybody can hear me. Harry, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, well, I'm just making sure. Like, I got I got nothing. All right, uh, we're presented by Progressive Insurance, and you just heard King Harry. Uh, this is all because last night you became ready to crown a king for Georgia. Yes, and that king happened to be Stetson Bennett the fourth, and I love to put the fourth behind it because, you know, I'm very familiar with, you know, a suffix. That's familiar to Stetson Bennett's. So uh, when I look at this young man, though, he, he's so phenomenal to me, fits in so many different ways because a guy that so many pe- people uh, wrote off because of size, you know, what they thought of the lack of a, a ability. But what you can't measure um, in a player like Stetson Bennett is heart and the will to be successful and the will to win and the will to just push through anything and not be denied. And he's done all of that to the point to where he's now a back-to-back national champion. And last year, a lot of people calling him a game manager. I was one of those people early on. But then something switched for me. Media day for me in the national championship in 2021 last year. Uh, well, 22, because it was in January. Stetson Bennett, man, seeing him at the podium and how cool, calm, and collected he was and how he didn't worry about what naysayers uh, so much said and just went on about his business was big for me. So I became a fan. At, at literally at Media Day last year. Coming to this season, you see him against or, uh, Oregon. He has that moxie, has a new haircut, Steph Quavius, that is. Uh, Stetson <laughs> Bennett, to a lot of y'all, to me, I call him Steph Quavius because sometimes, the, you know, st- he st- brings that culture side, that culture side of him. So out he's Steph Quavius, Steph Quavius? Steph Quavius. Bennett, the fourth. the fourth? Yes. The fourth. Okay, I got it. Steph Quavius. Quavius Bennett, the fourth. Yeah. All right, for the culture. But, man, he's just. For me, and I said this on KJM this morning, like he's a guy that understands that a lot of people don't want him to be in the position that he's in, but he's in that position. A lot of people thought he can't, he couldn't be successful, but he has been successful. And he's going to be unapologetic about it, but not do it in a cocky way. He's going to let you know that he's Stetson Bennett and he's here and you're going to have to appreciate it. And when I look at the you know University of Georgia and you talk about the greatest – Georgia Bulldogs of all time, and you see people like Herschel Walker, and I, that's that's the it. I don't, I don't want to say no more about that. That's Herschel Walker, and then you have David Pollock, who we worked with, who was so phenomenal, but his you know football career got cut short due to injury in the National Football League. But then you look at Stetson Bennett, who's able to do something none of these guys have been able to do, and win back-to-back national championships at the University of Georgia to the point to where I think we had so many people didn't live up to their standards this year in college football from the quarterback position or in Heisman talk to the, to the fact you had Stetson Bennett at the Heisman ceremony. And a lot of people questioned it. I never questioned it. And then you look at the semifinal game when he throws with 398. And early on before halftime of that game, a lot of people are calling for his job and Stetson shouldn't be in there. But he goes 10 for 12 in the fourth quarter for 190 yards and a touchdown and leads him to the game winning drive. 
He comes to the national championship game and throws for 300 plus and four touchdowns, but then he rushes for two, so he counts for six six touchdowns. The young man in my eyes is the greatest Georgia Bulldog of all time. His legend was made not just by winning back-to-back national champions, but I think by the way they won this game last night. Yep. Because you mentioned at, at halftime, and this really hit us before the during the Peach Bowl. At halftime, Kirby Smart sat there and said, "Look, if we're going to win." Quarterback's going to have to play better. He said that on the sideline. Like It was such a brazen moment of I am calling out my quarterback. And then you're right. He played better throughout the course of the game. But the most important moment to me was when you saw early on in this game in the, on the first drive when he used his legs to score a touchdown. You knew it was over right then because what Georgia was telling you is we know we can win this game if Stetson plays well. And Stetson came out with that swagger I keep talking about. Like, you win the national he championship. came out with that what? Uh, with that swagger. Because Stetson Yeah, Stiquavius can't. He's like, Stiquavius can't be stopped, (laughs) right? I mean, you can't handle Stiquavius. No, no. When he came out and won that game with his legs... Oh, swagger. Oh, oh, look at that. That's the swagger. Look at that. That's the swagger. I'll take that. That's well done. Uh, Kirby Smart, Georgia head coach, was on with SVP last night, of course. He He tried to put into words what Stetson Bennett specifically has meant to Georgia. Check it out. I can't put it into words, Scott. I mean, th- this young man sat in my office with his mom and told me he was leaving because he knew he could play here and he had to go prove it. He left and went to a junior college in Mississippi and won a championship there and then turned around and we had to give him another chance here and we kept telling him he was a three. And the guy kept saying, no, I'm not. I'm good enough to start. I'm good enough to play. And he did just that. And uh, he's the greatest dog of all time, in my opinion. Mm. Now, a lot of people, I said this. You've been saying this for I a said, minute. I said this last week on our Countdown to College Game Day coverage. I've said this for the last two months. If Stetson Bennett wins back-to-back national championship championships, he would be the greatest Georgia Bulldog of all time, and a lot of people crucified me for it. I mean, it, it's the, he won the first one over Bama. The head, coach, the head coach of the Georgia Bulldogs, Kirby Smart, who played at the University of Georgia with Champ Bailey. Just said that – play the clip again, please, Devin. Can we play it one more time? I can't put it into words, Scott. I mean, th- this young man sat in my office with his mom and told me he was leaving because he knew he could play here and he had to go prove it. He left and went to a junior college in Mississippi and won a championship there and then turned around and we had to give him another chance here and we kept telling him he was a three. And the guy kept saying, no, I'm not. I'm good enough to start. I'm good enough to play. And he did just that. And uh, he's the greatest dog of all time, in my opinion. Mm, mm, mm. I, I can't argue it. It's the fact it's who they beat to get the first one. It's how they won the second one. And it's the fact that for all that conversation you mentioned, that's very real and very right about the concept that Stetson Bennett was a game manager. He wasn't managing anything last nope. night. He was going into TCU and saying, this is my team, this is my championship, and this is my moment. You will not stand in the way of it. He absolutely shined. Here's the problem I have. If Stetson Bennett was a four- or five-star recruit in a situation and doing what he's doing right now, no, people would have no problem saying that he's the greatest Bulldog of all time. The fact that he's a walk-on and you know had to do things that way, had to leave, and he was counting out, they don't want to crown him in that manner. But guess what? 
the mailman delivers on Sundays and holidays. And the mailman happened to be Stetson Stequavius Bennett the fourth. Yeah, well, Stequavius now can open a sports bar, a restaurant. Anything, man. He can open man. a car dealership. Like, he's never going to pay for another thing in Georgia in his life. Nope. We all know the game ain't over till it's over. So next time your car breaks down, don't call it quits. Head to eBay Motors. They have 122 million parts. That's a lot to take your car into overtime. Get the right parts at the right prices. eBayMotor.com. Let's ride. It took all of like a day for draft conversation to overtake the Bears. And now we have controversy already. How should that controversy be handled? We'll ask a former NFL head coach next. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. I would trade Justin Fields for a one and a three to at least a dozen teams. Seattle, New Orleans, Carolina, New York Jets. There's a lot of different teams that need a quarterback. And then what I would do is I would draft Bryce Young, and here's why. I would then reset the quarterback clock on a rookie contract, and let's look at Jacksonville. They have Trevor Lawrence. They go out and get Evan Ingram. They go get Brandon Scherf, Olokan, Christian Kirk, and now they're in the playoffs. So if I could go get four starters in free agency, a one and a three, and get a player, in my opinion, and Bryce Young, who's a better quarterback than Justin Fields, and I could get six additional players, I'm making that move. It's Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz, presented by Progressive Insurance. You guys can hang out with us on the Dr. Pepper call-in line, 888-SAY-ESPN-888-729-3776. Herm Edwards joining us. Herm, you just heard the proposal that Mike Tannenbaum gave everybody this morning on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max. If he walks into the office, he's your GM, you're the head coach, what would your response to that be? We're going to go to dinner, and actually, Mike did. We worked together in New York, so um, I'm familiar with Mike Tannenbaum. Um, I would say this: I mean, he has one opinion about what he would want to do. Uh, what I've seen of Justin Fields, um, he checks enough boxes for me that I, I would be fine with him being the quarterback going forward. I, I think you can trade out of that first pick, get you some more picks because when you think about this football team. Um, they couldn't protect this guy, and he can run. Think about if it was Tom Brady. He was sacked 58 times. Just think if it was Tom Brady back there. He'd been attacked 100 times. They, they need offensive line help. You can go get you some receivers. Uh, I, I just think that this guy reminds me a little bit of Jalen Hurts and the fact that Jalen Hurts, all of a sudden, we're scratching our head. And he was in the MVP talk before he got, uh, got hurt because of his ability to throw the ball and improve. In that area, I think this guy's arrows are pointing in the right way. I think this as well. He fits the quarterback model for the Chicago Bears. He just does. They're an outside team. They play in the cold. He's a tough, physical guy. If you're a Chicago Bear fan, these are the kind of quarterbacks you like. Just go historically. Just go back and look at these guys that have been successful there. So I just think this guy has had two coaches. Uh, that has a lot to do with he's a young player with a lot of talent. I would love to keep him. Yeah, Coach, I, I feel the exact same way that you feel. And what I'll try to tell our listeners earlier is that when you look at a lot of these young quarterbacks in the National Football League today, you look at Trevor Lawrence, right, in year two, when they started surrounding him by the right pieces, offensive line guys, 
and skill position players, he started to thrive. You look at Brock Purdy and what he's able to do right now because of his surroundings. Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Jalen Hurts, Tua, Josh Allen. I would even throw Kenny Pickett in there because he has George Pickens, Deontay Johnson, Pat Fryer out in tight end position, and Najee Harris. The common theme here, though, Coach, is when you surround your young talent with players – they're able to thrive differently. And you mentioned the offensive line situation for the Chicago Bears, which has been an issue for them the past three years. That's something they need to address. Because when you do have a mobile guy, but you're fourth in sacks allowed in the National Football League with a mobile guy, that lets you know that you need to get better protection. Yeah, no, no doubt. And I think you, you, you make a great point about surrounding with a surrounding cast. I'll take it one step further than that. You know, there's systems and then there's players. The good coaches always find a way to understand, to massage their system. It happened in Jacksonville. Doug Peterson had a certain system. He says, I got this guy. Guess what? I'm going to change my system so this guy can be successful. I think this young man, he fits in the Philadelphia Eagles system. If you would run that system with this young man, I think he could be a heck of a player. We're talking to Herm Edwards, ESPN NFL analyst. Coach, i got to talk to you about coaching for a second because we're about to go into a playoff matchup. I know, and and I'm trying to make sense of Dak, right? Because a lot of us are yelling and screaming about the turnovers, but there hasn't been a new offensive coordinator. There's not a big change there. So coach me through this. What are you saying to Dak to try and fix a problem that has never been there before? Well, I'm going to fix it by running the football. He is not going to be – he's not going to lead the band right now. He's going to be a part of the band, but he's not going to he's not going to orchestrate it. I'm going to orchestrate it from the sideline, how I call plays, and basically let him and let this team run the football, go through Zeke and go through Pollard, um, move the pocket for him. Don't let him just drop back and try to throw outs and curls. That's not what he does. Okay, let him become a play action quarterback. Move the pocket, get him on some boots and some waggles. But I'm aware I'm aware them running back out. I am going to wear him out. And I'm not going to allow this guy to turn the ball over because he's done it now seven weeks in a row. Every time he starts, he gives him a turnover. And you give the turnover to Captain America, you got a problem. Because this, this, you're in the wheelhouse now. Captain America, this team's been struggling and everything else, but now you're in the playoffs. This man has played more playoff games than probably 10 of the quarterbacks that are in playoff games, right? I mean, that's how many playoff games this guy's played in and won, by the way. Now, Coach, last one we got for you really quick. A lot. Brandon Staley, the head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers, is taking a lot of heat for playing Joey Bosa and also, you know, Mike Williams and those two guys getting injured. Mm-hmm. When you move into the playoffs, they're going to be facing Trevor Lawrence and the Jacksonville Jaguars. If the Chargers lose this game and it's not a great loss, no loss is good, but if it's not a great loss, if the game is not close to get blown out and Brandon Staley is part of the reason why, could you see the Chargers moving on from Brandon Staley after this season? Look, I, I know the family that owns that team, and hopefully they, 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 will, they will not listen to the voices outside the building uh, to see what this guy has kind of done this year. This team's won, what, 10 games now? And, and in the beginning of the year, they were struggling. And, and they found their way at the end here. Um, as far as him playing the players, and I think we talked about this last week, guys, football players play football. Mm-hmm. Football players play football. You, you sign on to play a whole season. Don't start. Don't start saying sitting guys. You know, I believe football players play. Now, do they play the whole game? If you're winning, 
and you're toward the end of the season, maybe not, but they're going to start it. I know this. Uh, I never missed a game. I never missed a practice. And if I was going into a game where we know we clinched the spot, and there was times that I was playing, we clinched the spot, and the coach would have walked up to me and said, you know what, we're going to rest you. Because I, I looked at that coach and said, you ain't resting me. Said, no, 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 coach, you ain't resting me. I signed up to play football. This is what I do. I only get 17 shots at this deal this season. And you ain't, I'm not, not, not going to start because that's what I do. So, I, look, don't ask me about sitting players down because I'm talking like the player now, not the coach. I'm just telling <laughs> you, I'm in a fist fight. I'm going to get in a fist fight with the coach and tell him, you ain't not, not starting me. If I'm able to play, coach, I'm playing. Now, in the game sometime, in the third quarter, you want to take me out? Hey, man, get some young guys arrested because we got a playoff spot already, you know, we got one. That's fine. But don't tell me about just putting the baseball hat on and watching it on the sideline. No, man. Uh-uh. Talking to the wrong guy. Uh, that's why we love your insight, Coach. Herm Edwards joining us, ESPN NFL analyst. Thanks for hanging out with us, my friend. We appreciate you. Thank you both. Herm, bringing it. I like you can just feel his fire. Oh, yeah. Talking from the coaching standpoint, oh, talking yeah. from the playing standpoint, and talking about, you know, pressure in all of this situation, which raises a question. Because we're talking about pressure on Brandon Staley and the Chargers making their first playoff together. But the question is, who has more pressure? Staley or Mike McCarthy and the Cowboys? Jerry Jones spoke today. You'll hear a little bit, and we'll answer that question on Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. Uh, we know we're playing Tampa and Tampa. Familiar now after after two after two years of playing them, so um, that that obviously gives you confidence. Well, it's one and done. We understand what's at stake. We got a home game. Everyone's worked hard to get to this point, and now it's uh, no more second chances. Man, I listened to all of that, and I'm glad we're not making cliches a shot game. I'd get drunk. We're just taking – it's a single elimination now. We're just here. We're happy to be here. You know, we're going to make the most of the opportunities that we have to win these games. Good Lord! It's Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, and your smart speakers. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Uh, obviously, all eyes are on the wild card weekend that we're about to get this weekend. But that leads to a conversation about pressure. Because, A.C., you were just talking about Brandon Staley and the Chargers, and I think there's some pressure on not only Staley to manage the, the game well, but, frankly, for Justin Herbert to go out and play well, considering how we treat most quarterbacks that don't play well in their first playoff appearance. So I think there's some pressure there. But, like, there's an astronomical amount of pressure on the Cowboys organizationally here, right? I think 100%. When you look at the Cowboys and Mike McCarthy and – what they didn't do last year at the hosting the playoff game in the San Francisco 49ers going into, you know, AT&T Stadium and beating them uh, the way they did. And, you know, Dallas as a team had a ton of penalties in that game, the self-inflicted wounds. And then, you know, situational football at the end of the game. I, I thought that left a bad taste in Jerry Jones's mouth. Now, we also got to give the Cowboys credit because they have a phenomenal record this season. Now, granted, I say that in the last five or six weeks, they haven't looked like the football team um, that they probably want to look like going into this playoff game, right? They're not looking like like a team that, that's 12-5 and five on the season. And when you look at who they're going against, they're going against, you know, the greatest of all time in Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who still have, 
you know, that Super Bowl DNA from that Super Bowl, what, two years ago? Now, granted, they haven't played like it themselves this season at all. They've only had two games in which I thought they've played great football. And that was number one against the Dallas Cowboys in week one and then against the Seattle Seahawks when they faced them over in Germany and Munich. The end of the story, well, the more of the story, I would say this, it's playoff time now. Everything you've done up to this point, you want to, you kind of want to try to erase it from a lot of players' minds, especially a guy like Dak Prescott, because he has turned the football over game after game after game, whether it's a pick six, whether it's, you know, interceptions at opportune times. You want to go into this game with a clear mind. I don't necessarily think that's going to be able to happen for Dak, though, because of the mistakes that have piled on one another over and over and over again. And then you look at this team, though. With Cooper Rush and the way they were able to rush the football, and by by no means do I think Cooper Rush is a better quarterback than Dak. It's just that I look at the team and how they played when he was in, and I look at the team and how they're playing now, and it, it, it I don't understand like why they can't keep up the same you know level of play. Yeah, there's a disconnect somewhere yes. that, that doesn't make any sense. But that's also why I think this pressure conversation has nuance. Like, look, we'll, we'll give all the takes in the world, but let's get, you know, let's also have a little nuance to this. Yep. If the Cowboys go into this game and Dak throws four picks and they get demolished, of course there's going to be a massive clapback. If Dak goes in, has the game of his life, the Cowboys play an incredible, oh my God, I can't believe this, and Tom Brady wins in dramatic Tom Brady fashion with seconds to go in an instant classic, we're going to look at it a much different way. If they go in and they have problems with situational game management, if they go in and they don't know their timeouts and they let the clock run when they shouldn't and it costs them in the end, then Mike McCarthy's going to pay the price. Like I think the pressure conversation, there's always pressure on everything that the Cowboys do, but that's why the I test in this game matters more, I think, uh, not more than the result, but it matters in the context of the result. Yeah, and it, I don't think, you know, having Sean Payton out there looming makes it any easier. You have a guy who, you know, showed that he can be a hell of a head coach in the National Football League. He was once there when Bill Parcells was there. He understands and knows that organization. Jerry Jones understands and knows his mindset of, as, as a football coach. And I think, you know, Sean Payton could do a lot with that team because of what he brings, you know, to an offense. So you have that looming as well. You also have the looming of, you know, Dan Quinn potentially getting head coaching jobs to, to, to be a head coach once again. Kellen Moore, the offensive coordinator, is going to always be in the mix as well. There's so many moving parts to, to the Dallas Cowboys that I don't think we, we can do it in, seven, in a seven-day span. Yeah, you're not wrong. And look, Jerry Jones knows that. Cowboys owner Jerry Jones was on 105.3 The Fan and, of course, as always, was asked very specifically, will this playoff game impact Mike McCarthy's job security? No. Just, uh, I don't even want to. Uh, no. Uh, that's it. I don't need to go into all the pluses or minuses, but uh, uh, we're not seeing any. We're not uh, basing. I've got... Uh, a lot more to evaluate Mike McCarthy on than this playoff game. Mm, my grandma taught me growing up a lot. I don't care who tell it. <laughs> Give me that one more time. Man, my grandma told me a lot. I don't care who tell it. Oh, that is remarkable. I mean, here's the thing. If you're Jerry Jones, you can read the room a little bit, right? Yeah. You understand the pressure. 
you also understand that you sitting on 105.3, the fans saying when they ask, well, will this playoff game impact his job security? Oh, hell yes. If that's the answer, all you're doing is creating another layer of complication that they're going to have to deal with at every single person. Like, I don't know what else we expect Jerry Jones to say other than no, but I'm not buying no. Well, here's the thing, though. Jerry likes to be honest about a lot of other things. That's fair. Why, why not be honest there? Because I don't think he was being honest right there in that interview. I, I, I just I, That's the way I feel. I don't feel like he was being transparent and being honest with the people because there's a ton of pressure on the Dallas Cowboys this year. And the way they lose a playoff game can alter their head coach. The wild thing about this year in the NFC, this year in the AFC, is that there's a substantial yeah but for a lot of these teams. Mm -hmm. So on the one hand, I want to excuse that it could mean an early exit for a good football team. But on the other hand, it could mean that a team goes on a run. Like, we're sitting here counting the Cowboys out, but let's be real. If the Cowboys actually play to their potential – they could win a couple of playoff games. 100%. And, right. I, and I feel that way, too. Like, if Dak's not turning the football over, if that defense is sacking the quarterback, if they're getting interceptions and getting fumbles and turnovers, they have a chance. But they have to play well. They can't play the way they've been playing the last four or five weeks. And that's the hardest part about it is that when you watch the way the play, they've played over the last several weeks, it just hasn't looked good enough. And, and that's okay to admit. But you got to look at it and say, okay, if you're the Cowboys and you you manage to win this this first game, there's a chance, depending on what happens in the rest of this, that you could be taking on, you know, a San Francisco in the second round. You could be taking on uh, the Eagles, who you've already beaten, right? Like, if you're the Cowboys, you're going to look at it and say, once we get through this one game, you never know. So it's funny how this could go from a ton of pressure to a ton of playing with house money. Overnight. One thing I'm 100% sure of is that every single minute of every single day we'll keep breaking it down because, well, it's the Cowboys and that's what we do. We'll get back to the NFL, but we got to get back to college football next. Georgia's back on top of the college football world. How long will they stay there? We'll answer that next. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. 